0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to
1: you live.
0: Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I am Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. The big story in Washington this week were the historic Supreme Court nomination hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. If confirmed, she would be the first Black woman to sit on the high court. Joining me now to talk about this momentous week, Amber Phillips, politics reporter and author of *The Five Minute*. Welcome back to Washington. Welcome back to Washington.
1: Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me.
0: So, how did Judge Jackson do?
1: Yeah, she. I, I mean, the dominant theme of questioning. Let me start there. Was by Republicans, it was absolutely the narrative of these couple days of hearings, and it was are you soft on child porn defenders? She pushed back on that forcefully with the help of Democrats. Um, She stated the facts, which essentially was, listen, I I take into account a bunch of different things. It's not a numbers game. We're not just sentencing people to jail. I sent all these people to jail, but I'm also taking into account the fact they can't use their computer for decades or go around children for decades. Um, So she pushed back forcefully on that. She explained the facts. But I have talked to Republicans who feel like Republicans did their damage by having these headlines of Jackson child porn defense. That uh, was just that was the story from these couple days of hearings, and Republicans drew it out of out of whole cloth essentially. But they were able to make it the story. So Jackson, she was poised as Supreme Court nominees are expected to be. She talked at length about her records, um, 10 years as a judge, but. Republicans were able to to win essentially the messaging war, I think, this week. And that was talking specifically about her record as child defending, excuse me, sentencing child porn defenders,
0: well, as you said, you know, they're making this accusation, as you said, out of whole cloth. I'm just wondering in your reporting and talking to to Republicans, did any republican a Republican express any trepidation? about going down that route, about do about doing that to a Supreme Court nominee.
1: So this time last week, yes, that's when Senator Josh Hawley, the main driver of this, who sits on the Judiciary Committee in question Jackson, put out a bunch of tweets uh, last week around this time and said, "Wow, I'm really concerned. She shows this disturbing pattern." And as our fact-checker here at the Washington Post, Glenn Kessler pointed out, there's no there there. He was he was taking her comments out of context, it was very misleading. She's within line of sentencing as of other judges including Republican supported judges. So Holly put that out there though and, and Senate Republican leaders stepped back from that. They, they weren't gonna talk about that. They were talking about how she's perhaps soft on crime or supported by the liberal soft on crime brigade Senator McConnell said but they weren't really willing to pick this up. That changed completely when the hearing started Senator Josh Hawley drove at this, so did Senator Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Lindsey Graham. Uh, These sort of more firecracker senators wouldn't let this go. And that culminated in yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell going to the Senate floor and saying, summing up these arguments and saying, that's why I'm not going to support her. So it's become a mainstream reason for Republicans to oppose her. I'll say one more thing, Jonathan, I talked to a Republican operative yesterday focused on the midterms and he said, they hope to fold all this in to their arguments to win back Congress um, and and say, look, Democrats are soft on crime. Look at this radical person they nominated who has somehow has sympathy for child porn offenders.
0: And what I find interesting about the soft on crime um, knock on Judge Jackson is that a, a new report from the centrist think tank third way points out that the top ten murder states in the country, eight of them voted for former President Donald Trump. But that's a whole other conversation. Amber, the other sort of theme, dominant theme in the hearings was the the, the focus of Republican senators relitigating the Kavanaugh hearings um, in these confirmation hearings. Why did they spend so much time on that? And was the ugliness of the hearings, on the part of some Republicans payback for what happened to Justice Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible. When Biden nominated Judge Jackson, you heard Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and other senators say very clearly, we're not gonna turn this into a spectacle like Judge Kavanaugh, or sometimes they loop in Judge Amy Coney Barrett, and now our justices, of course. We're not gonna turn this into a spectacle like Democrats did for them. I think that they ended up targeting Judge Jackson in a way that could be characterized as character assassination by talking about these child porn claims that have no there there. And so I think Lindsey Graham in particular spent a lot of time on this, um, airing a lot of his grievances about how Judge Kavanaugh was treated. And what Republicans did there was ignore this serious accusation uh, that the FBI Investigated in Congress had his accuser Christine Blasey Ford come and testify under oath about. Um, so they, they glossed over these the huge <laughs> reason that that the Kavanaugh hearings were so contentious. That being said, did Democrats uh, you know spit forth venom at Kavanaugh and at some points Judge Amy Coney Barrett, especially in some of her earlier confirmation hearings before she was before the Supreme Court? Yes, absolutely. But it ended up I th- I think that Republicans did exactly what they said they weren't going to do, which is treat uh, the nominee before them in and in, in paint them in kind of an unfair light and mm-hmm. attack them and their character.
0: Um, how much should we um, view the hearings and the, and the Republicans, how their demeanor during the Supreme Court hearings through the lens of 2024 since uh, a few of the folks in the Judiciary Committee are eyeballing a run for president? Was that Part of the part of the presence in the room.
1: I think that's all of it, arguably. <laughs> uh, I think these, you know, Josh Hawley, for example, uh, perhaps Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton. The the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is interesting, it it attracts on both sides these really partisan senators. I think of Kamala Harris, for example, was was on that committee before she ran for president and became vice president. And so these are people with really big political ambitions, and you're absolutely right. 2022 is is here, based, is here uh, for senator Senate Republicans to try to take back the majority, but 2024 is right around the corner, and these senators are watching. For example, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, who, you know, could have a chance, I think, uh, to try to be the nominee even if Donald Trump runs, and they're watching him just go culture war after culture war after culture war and getting noticed in a big way by the Republican base outside Florida. And I think that's a huge reason why they decided to focus on these, on, on these attacks, even when they had to kind of um, twist the facts to get there. And the thing is there's so much in Judge Jackson's record That for them to take issue with without having to twist the facts as Republicans, right? Like she's been a judge for nearly a decade. She was a public defender before that. She has a long, lengthy record. Uh, But they chose to focus on these culture war type attacks. And that's because Republicans I talk to say it plays well with the base. People are focused on this right now.
0: Amber, last question for you. The Senate Judiciary Committee is expected, or they're hoping, to vote on her nomination on Judge Jackson's. Supreme Court nomination on April 4th, is there anything that could derail her confirmation in committee or on the full on the floor for a full vote of the Senate?
1: Never say never, Jonathan. But <laughs> right. it, it looks absolutely like Judge Jackson has the support of Democrats, and that's all she needs on the committee and then again on the full Senate floor to get onto the Supreme Court. Senator John Cornyn, a senior Republican on this committee, even, even mused yesterday to reporters that she could get like one to three Republican votes. That's not much. I was looking back at Justice Antonin Scalia, for example, got 98 votes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg got 96 votes, but it's in line with the way these Supreme Court confirmation hearings play out now in modern day politics. Judge uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh got 50 votes. So. It would be one of the most narrow Supreme Court confirmation hearing, uh, confirmations probably, but it would be in line with the way things are today, which is these Supreme Court battles are just another manifestation of politics.
0: Right, and the specter of a, a Supreme Court nominee being confirmed with zero Republican votes um, would be quite something. Amber Phillips, politics reporter at the Washington Post, thank you for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thank you. We're going to keep the conversation going with the opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post columnists E.J. Dion and Hugh Hewitt. And just want to point out that E.J. is the co-author of a just released book entitled "100% Democracy: The Case for Universal Voting." E.J., congratulations on yet another book! <laughs> yet another book, but. Thank you so much,
2: (laughs) Jonathan. I appreciate it. And thanks to The Post for letting me write an essay with my co-author, Miles Rappaport, off the book. Uh, People can get a sense of it from that
0: essay. Bless you for bringing it up. Thank you. Well, um, depending on how um, um, loquacious you both are, we're going to talk about the the book a little bit later. But let's talk about the other big news um, in Washington that actually took place in Brussels. And that's where President Biden attended the emergency NATO summit. EJ, since you're the new author, I'll start with you. Did the president accomplish what he set out to do?
2: I think he did. I think that what you're seeing is extraordinary unity uh, among NATO allies. Uh, What we're seeing is that Vladimir Putin made catastrophic mistakes from the beginning. And two big ones A, he underestimated the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian leadership, President Zelensky, and their determination to push back on this invasion and the ability of their armed forces. Secondly, he assumed that the Western alliance would either cave and do very little or would be split. And what we're seeing, quite the contrary, is that Vladimir Putin is uh, has only strengthened NATO, strengthened solidarity in the alliance. And I think you're seeing that again this week, And I think this meeting underscores that
0: right. And, you know, we're talking about what happened in Brussels. The president um now is in Poland as the second part of this trip. But Hugh, the President said yesterday that russia well, Russia, they, <laughs> He said yesterday that Russia should be kicked out of the G20, and if that was not possible due to resistance um, from other nations um, like Indonesia and others, then Ukraine should be able to attend the G20 summit. Your thoughts on that move and whether the, the president will succeed on either front? Well, they're both good suggestions. I'm very glad to see him
3: going to greet the refugees in Poland, Jonathan. I think that's a very important thing for the president to do, to be seen with the people who are- directly suffering as a result of putin's war and his war crimes and so i applaud the president for doing that he's been late on everything he's been leading from behind until this week and i'm glad to see that he's now leading from the front by suggesting things that have not come originally out of europe so i applaud the president generally uh he was late to the game right now we ought to be sending every kind of weapon they request there's no more offensive or defensive weapon they need uh Anti-ship missiles, especially because they're getting bombarded at Mariupol by uh, Sea of Azov ships and Black Sea ships. But the, the president's done well in Europe thus far. I hope he continues to do well.
2: Could so I just say, Jonathan? I don't. I don't think. About, I di- obviously, not surprisingly, I disagree with you on this. Late to the game is his interpretation. What I see is the president being very careful to move at every step with our allies. And he didn't want to get ahead because he didn't want to split the alliance. And I think his his success in keeping everyone together, particularly Germany, that has made
0: some extraordinary moves against Putin, uh, is a real victory. Hugh, what about that? I mean, shouldn't the president of the United States uh, bring the coalition together? Why, why is that leading no, from behind no. as opposed Germany. to being... Germany-led. Germany, Schultz surprised
3: us all by going and sort of reverting back to uh, uh, German chancellors of the past, not Merkel, by leading from the front. Joe Biden got on the armament train after the sanctions were announced by Germany. But I don't want to take up time because I'm 100% with with EJ, and I got to find out, I got to honor the Luntz rule, which you got to say the title of a book seven times 100% Democracy if you're going to sell the book. 100% democracy, and since it's unconstitutional, I want to hear E.J. explain how his proposal got past the Constitution in 100% democracy.
2: God bless you, you, for 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 repeating the words
0: 100% democracy. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. Well, you know what, E.J.? Well, let's talk about 100% democracy. Not the book, but the huge story that broke yesterday in the Washington Post from our colleagues, um, Bob Woodward, And former colleague, um, um, Bob Acosta, who's now at CBS News, about the text messages from Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, to the then White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, um, pushing hard for the overturn, to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, Let's just Your initial uh, thoughts on this bombshell revelation, Uh, EJ first and then Hugh.
2: Well, first of all, what's really disturbing uh, about this story uh, right off the top is how much she bought into Truly radical and, I would say, crazy conspiracy theories. She, one email reference, watermarked ballots. We are living through what looks like the end of America. There was QAnon stuff in here. So the sheer content of it is very disturbing. Uh, And what I think this should do is get us to look at what kind of rules do we need on recusal uh, for Supreme Court justices. I think you and I would agree that there should be a lot of independence between spouses and uh, over their jobs, that people are independent these days, and I respect that. But all kinds of federal employees, all kinds of judges have to live by certain rules that affect what they can do in their jobs, what they should recuse themselves on. Uh, and I think that's, that's going to heighten interest in trying to establish some standards for Supreme Court justices.
3: Q, your well, thoughts? I, I'm glad that I can agree with EJ on this, uh, that judges should be separate from their spouses when their ethics are considered. I didn't hear a word about Judge Brown Jackson's spouse, nor do I expect to hear a word about Judge, Brax- Judge Brown Jackson's spouse. It is independent. I know Jenny Thomas a little bit. I've known the Chief, uh, Justice uh, uh, Thomas for a long time, back to the Reagan years. They don't have anything to do with each other. That's the way the federal judiciary works, unless you prove it. I don't agree with what Ginny texted Mark Meadows on a couple of occasions. I don't think she's got anything to do with QAnon, EJ. That was a sideswipe. But I do. I, no, I know I she is a Our actress.
2: story says precisely that, just by the way. But go ahead. You've been so gracious. Right. nothing Sorry to, to do with you. <laughs> but, but what I want to point out is one rule for everyone. There was
3: nothing about Judge Brown Jackson's spouse. There ought never to be anything about anyone's spouse. You can focus on the content, I think, of the text messages and say, that's an interesting story. Uh, And she has certainly got, I've never heard of the watermark story until yesterday. And I read the Washington Post story. But it's got nothing to do with Justice Thomas or when he has to recuse, unless there's evidence that she discussed it with the justice. which I'm fairly certain, given my past interaction, she did not do.
0: Um, and, And this conversation has nothing to do with Judge Brown Jackson and everything to do with Jenny Thomas. Um, leave aside who she's married to. This was one of the more uh, alarming uh, things that came out of the story. In the November 5th message to Meadows, Thomas went on to quote a passage that had circulated on right-wing websites, quote, Biden crime family and ballot fraud co-conspirators, elected officials, bureaucrats, social media censorship mongers, fake stream media reporters, etc." Are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now and over coming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. What in the entire what Hugh? What I have no idea what that's about. I do know
3: that that big tech censorship of the Hunter Biden story upset many conservatives. And they have God. now I been Vindicated by the Hunter Biden story being proven true, but I know nothing about Gitmo barges. I have no idea what that's about. I don't know what the context is.
0: I, I don't know. As usual, EJ, use you you know, ask as one question. He bank shots. Uh, go ahead, EJ. Go ahead. Bank shots are go my on business. On.
2: Uh, never never mind. I was going to say, Hugh's experience as a talk show host uh, is shown by how he quickly elided from this story to a mention of Hunter Biden. Uh, but we'll leave that. <laughs> Jonathan brought him up first. He read big tech censorship. No,
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't say tech censorship. I was reading the right wing crazy conspiracy up. theory that was tweeted by Ginny Thomas, right who's married to someone we don't need to talk. We don't need to talk about. But you know, right now there are there are a lot of people who are doing things. Uh, and saying things that Hugh, I think, actually put put a finger on, which is Ginny Thomas. Yes, she's married to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And a lot of people, EJ, are trying to make a, a link Between the two, because she believes these things, because she's texted these things, because she attended the January 6th rally, because she sent all of these text messages to the chief of staff of the president of the United States, and also said denigrating things about the then-sitting vice president of the United States, then that must mean that her husband, a Supreme Court justice, must believe those things and therefore must recuse himself from whatever cases might come up related to the 2020 election is that a bridge is that a leap too far I think you just got to finish the slats on the bridge
2: I do not think it's unreasonable to ask supreme court justices to recuse themselves I go a step farther and say I think we need formal standards for supreme court justices putting this case aside where the family finances are concerned, where your stock ownership is concerned, I think we need clearer standards for Supreme Court justices than we have now. Uh, and what this does is raise questions and creates an inquiry to ask, would there be a conflict here or not? You says confidently he knows that they never discussed this. I did say uh, that. I don't know that for a fact. And I think that there is a question about recusal. And again, I think spouses should be independent. But when issues come up, we should have a way of adjudicating them.
3: Uh, E.J., what I said is based on my past experience, I doubt very much. Right, I understand. And so that's what I stand by. I do want to say, though, it's not unreasonable what you suggest. It's unconstitutional, though, much like 100 percent voting. The Constitution does not allow the third branch of government (laughs) to be regulated by the second and first branches of
2: government. And so the Supreme Court should establish clear standards that it will live by, and they should be written down. down. They can do that, and it would not be binding on the
3: members of the court. They can't adopt a law. You need a constitutional amendment like you need for 100% voting.
0: Well, it looks like we've already talked about the book now. I was going to bring this up, and you guys are going back and forth about one of the things in in EJ's book. But I want to come back to Jenny Thomas and her her many text messages to the former chief of staff of the United States. Um, um, Here's what Meadows, Mark Meadows, wrote back to um, Jenny Thomas, um, EJ, where he says, Uh, to her. This is a fight of good versus evil. Evil always looks like the victor until the king of kings triumphs. Do not grow weary in well-doing. The fight continues. I have staked my career on it. Well, at least my time in DC on it. Hugh, the king of kings, good versus evil. Evil always looks like the victor. Your reaction to that kind and of language. classic evangelical bubble. bubble. It's evangelical bubble talk.
3: And it's one evangelical talking to another evangelical in terms that they use. It's sort of like if you and EJ were texting each other, you'd be using Blue Bubble uh, shorthand. My question is, what date is that? Because I honestly don't know, Jonathan. If November that is twenty four November five. What is it? It's no-
0: November 24th.
3: Okay, that's a, bit, same- a little bit late for that. I thought the election was over on the day after the election, and so Mark, oh, of course, did not. Uh, and so, uh, but I don't think I wouldn't attach any significance to using standard issue evangelical
0: language. Okay, unless you're I an mean, evangelical, EJ, Jonathan. EJ, see, this is one of the things that Hugh does all the time as well. Uh, as well, which is when there's some something inconvenient. That's been said, written, texted, or sent up by, you know, bat signal. It's always, ah, oh, that's just that that's just them talking. That's just the way they talk to each other. Shouldn't we take this kind of this kind of conversation seriously? I think we should, and I don't think you have to live in a blue bubble to take this. Uh,
2: seriously, I mean, I think what you're actually seeing is the radicalization of certain forms of Christianity, where uh, Donald Trump succeeded in mobilizing a wing of the evangelical movement behind a, I think, very troublesome—I think you've got to be troubled by uh, this uh, Christian nationalism uh, that has arisen uh, within Christianity— Uh, And whether it's religious language or not, the notion that any of this is true, uh, you said it himself, Joe Biden won the election. uh, And the notion that they're going back and forth in this fantasy world about what happened on Election Day is just troubling all by itself. Well, can I I rebut that a little bit? Because until
3: the Electoral College is certified, I think on December 4th, it ain't over. Uh, that's the law. But once December fourth came around and it was certified, it was over. And so up until that point, you can talk about fighting the good fight and being in there because the, it was still open. The states could still reject the electoral ballot. I thought it was over because I wrote a book, unlike EJ's book, 100%. My book was called uh, "If It's Not Close, They Can't Cheat." You cannot win a recount that is over a thousand votes, and there were four states that they needed to flip. So it was over. But some people didn't know that. And so I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to everyone, including leftists.
2: Oh. <laughs> for the record, you himself said he knew the election was over the day after the election. But so I just yeah. want to put that
0: on the record. Go ahead. <laughs> and, 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 and despite what you just said, Hugh, we had the spectacle yesterday at the the final day of the confirmation hearings for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson where I believe it was the attorney general for the state of Alabama would not answer the specific question from Senator Sheldon Whitehouse as, as to whether President Biden was the duly elected and certified winner of the 2020 election. And he just kept responding, Joe Biden is is the president of the United States. The good Why
3: question does- I at Four debates that I've moderated of Republican candidates for Senate and governor in four states, because it's a good question. The answer ought to be, yes, he won. Uh, And and that ought to be over, done. But they won't say it because they're afraid of upsetting Trumpist, hardcore voters in the primary. I understand. It's not not really a story. What I heard from Amber earlier, what's astonishing to me is you guys are trying to sweep under the rug that Judge Brown Jackson, I think, is qualified and she'll be confirmed. She nevertheless gave a child pornography possessor a 90-day sentence. I didn't okay think that. God
2: I, sake you i am disappointed in you ben sass I can go You're there uh, that, I, I, sorry. I am I'm so sorry. Sorry.
3: i did not think it was possible to get a 90-day sentence for possession of child porn i didn't think it was possible and i clerked you, for the first cc circuit judge on the sentencing commission in
0: 1984 it's hard okay. to sentence okay. it's very all right but all right. that's if you. thank you I, i'm going to stop I'm gonna stop. Wait, I gotta stop you both. But Hugh, I'm gonna stop you for a couple of reasons. One, this was not. We're not gonna do the whole child porn weaving out of whole, you know, whole cloth. Something about okay, Judge Jackson, but truth. also, but also, wait, Hugh, Hugh, but also, we are out of time. Hugh, Hewitt, EJD, <laughs> we seriously gotta go. Thanks
1: so as always. I to argue about look.
2: constitutionality someday, Absolutely. but thank you,
0: guys. Come on, Guys, on show. we gotta go. We gotta. Go.
1: Thanks for listening. For more information on our
0: upcoming programs. Go to WashingtonPostLive.com.